the midst of a series called the Spirit-Filled, Spirit-Empowered Church. And as we're making our way through this, there are five different aspects of a Spirit-Empowered Church. Um, we started in worship, and now we are making our way to, through a few lessons or teachings on community. What does a Spirit-Empowered Church look like in terms of its community together? Um, now, the New Testament doesn't really use the word community. I, I think the NIV translates one passage, translates one verse, and uses the word community. But it does express. But there is a there is a word that's used over and over again that expresses this idea, and it's the word fellowship. The word fellowship. And so, this morning, I want to talk to you about um, deep fellowship together. Spirit empowered church is a church that has deep and powerful fellowship. So I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 John 1, or if you don't have your Bible or phone app or whatever, then uh, certainly follow along on your bulletin. I'm going to read 1 John 1, verses 1 to 10. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word now, would you teach us by your spirit? Would you come and show us how we can move into the place of deeper fellowship with one another? Deeper fellowship with you, Father, and your son, Jesus, and deeper fellowship with one another through your Holy Spirit. I pray that your grace would come down as your word is proclaimed this morning. Just as you so often The letters are begun with grace and peace to you. I pray that grace and peace would come to us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, The trilogy called The Lord of the Rings, the first book is called The Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, And it's called The Fellowship of the Ring because there are nine companions who meet together and have this meeting, and they need to figure out what to do with the ring of power. And they, they discover this, this ring must be destroyed, and the only way for it to, it to be destroyed 
is to go to this really dangerous place called Mordor, to, the, to Mount Doom and throw it into the fires there because that's where it was created so it needed to be destroyed there. And they set out on this journey, these nine companions called the Fellowship of the Ring. They are in this thing together, right? They, are, they, they have one goal, they have a purpose and they are partners in this purpose. They all have the same goal. Even when they split up and Frodo and Sam Gamgee are off by themselves, Frodo has the ring, He's the ring bearer, and the others are off in other places. They still are working for the same purpose. They must see this ring destroyed so Middle-earth can be saved. You and I are called to fellowship in this kind of way, in this kind of way where we share in something deep and profound together. Our idea of fellowship usually, I think, falls well short of the New Testament ideal of worship, of fellowship. We often think think of fellowship in terms of grabbing a cup of coffee and talking about weekend plans or sitting around the table together and enjoying a good meal. Now, those things might be part of fellowship, but, but fellowship from the New Testament standpoint is much, much deeper than that. There's so much more to fellowship. And John wants you and I to participate in the life-giving reality of fellowship. Like these nine companions who by life or by death were partnering in this adventure in the fellowship of the ring. You and I are called to that kind of fellowship. Christian fellowship or community is a sharing in, in the life of God together. It's a sharing in the fatherhood of God the Father together. It's a sharing in the person and work of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection together. And we do these things through the Holy Spirit. This is what New Testament fellowship is. And John wants to lead the way for us. How do we get there? How do we move beyond playing church, or beyond a cup of coffee and weekend plans to going deeper in fellowship together. Well, the first two verses, John gives us his credentials and the credibility of his message. Here's what John says in the first two verses. He says, The eternal God became man and was manifest to us. We saw him. We heard him. We touched him with our hands. Now, this is the Apostle John. The Apostle John was, of all the disciples, he referred to himself in the Gospel of John, which he also wrote, as the beloved disciple. Perhaps he had this special relationship with the Lord Jesus. He was the one, during the Last Supper discourse, the night before Jesus was crucified, who was leaning against the breast of Jesus. He and Jesus had this close relationship. So John here saying, we saw him, I saw him, I heard him, I touched him with my hands, and I have a message to proclaim to you. And John says the message he wants to proclaim in these opening verses of this letter are for the sake of Christian fellowship. Look at how John puts it in verse 3. He says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So that, that's the purpose, John gives us his purpose, so that 
you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So John says, I'm sharing this with you, that you may join into this fellowship. And this is no mere human fellowship. This is with the Father and the Son. And I think it's, it's obvious. He's not, he's, not, he's not forgetting about the Holy Spirit. It is through the Holy Spirit that we have this fellowship with one another and with the Father and with the Son. Not only that, but the very next verse, in the very next verse, John connects the idea of fellowship with joy. When he says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So he says, I'm writing this, I'm proclaiming this message so that you may have fellowship with us and with the Father and with the Son. And this leads to full joy, complete joy. Christian fellowship is deep and profound and beautiful, and it is not meant to be a snoozer. It's not meant to be a bore. It's not meant to be like, oh my goodness, I got to go to this church thing, or I got to be around these people. It's not meant to be that way. For John, it was that his joy would be complete. But, so on the one hand, it's, it's, it's increasing joy, but it's not without risk. Deep fellowship with one another is not without risk. It requires us risking something. Here's the big idea I want you to take away from this morning. I really hope you see this not only from this text, but also I pray the Spirit just impresses it upon your heart that deep fellowship comes from walking in the light of honesty before God and others. Deep fellowship comes from walking in the light of honesty, transparency, being vulnerable before God, starts there, and before others. In this kind of culture where there's this kind of honesty in the light, the lights are on. In this kind of culture, we are allowed to flourish in the context of grace and safety, which frees us to grow. When there's not this grace, when, when there's not this light of honesty, when we're not walking in the light of honesty, there's not this grace, there's not this safety, it stunts our growth. So here's the journey John wants to take us on in verses 5 to 10, which I'm going to spend the rest of our time in those verses. First, he directs our attention to God. Then he shows us fellowship, the, the fellowshipping tendency of pretending. And then he wants to show us the beauty and power of honesty before God and one another. And by the time we're done, my prayer is that you will have a new power by the Spirit to walk in a light and experience the power of this fellowship with God and one another. So let's jump right in. First, he directs our attention to God in verse 5. And why wouldn't he direct our attention to God? Everything starts with God, right? Everything starts with God. All of our horizontal problems originate from not knowing and seeing God as he is. 
So John wants to direct our attention to God. Our horizontal walk with others utterly depends on the reality of who God is. So in verse 5, John says this. This is the message we have heard from him. He's talking about Jesus. This is the message we heard from Jesus and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. I find that fascinating. After spending three years with Jesus, and Jesus taught on many things. Right? He taught on, had parables, and, and I mean taught on many things. You read through the Gospels, there's lots of things he touched on. And John boils it down to these 11 words. This is the message we've heard from Christ, and we want to proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness. Why does John say God is light? Remember where John wants to take us. He wants to take us to the place of honesty before God. And so I think light refers to God's blazing purity, his, his perfect holiness, that there is no darkness in him. He has no dark side, right? We don't have to, we're not going to wake up someday and discover, oh my goodness, God has turned into like Darth Vader or the emperor or something. He is light and there is no darkness in him. He is perfectly holy. But there's more. John also wants to point out that God is all-knowing. God is all-knowing. All things in the entire world are done under the spotlight of God. There's nothing hidden from God, nothing hidden from his sight. We may hide things from others. Our thoughts may be hidden from everybody else outside of our brains, but nothing is hidden from God. Psalm 90 verse 8 says, Our secret sins, this is Moses writing, Our secret sins are in the light of your presence. God is perfectly holy. There is no darkness in him. He has no dark side. He is altogether good and righteous and holy. And he knows everything. He is light. Everything is done before God with the lights turned on. Here's the irony, though. If if all we think about is God is holy and everything's done before him, we might tend to think, oh my goodness, he's like this all-seeing surveillance camera. My goodness, what a comfort. Here's the irony, though. What What do children think about darkness? It's scary. Almost every child at some point in their life between the age of one and... 10, is afraid of the dark. What happens when the light comes on? Mom and dad come in, the hall lights, or the the closet light, you leave the closet light on, you have a night light. All of a sudden, there's this sense of safety. Mom and dad come in, the light comes on, everything is perfectly okay. Yes, God is light. He is perfectly holy. He is all-knowing. Nothing is hidden from his sight. But for those who come out into the light, and decide to live their lives in the light, there's safety. There's safety. We don't have to be afraid. God doesn't want us to be afraid to come out into the light. There's safety in the light. 
Unfortunately, sometimes we don't want to do that. We want to remain in the darkness. We want to remain hidden. We want to remain off the grid. I think they're having fun over there. (coughs) That's right. God is light. But John warns about the danger of walking in darkness, which keeps us from deep fellowship with God and kills fellowship with others. And I don't think, when John spells this out for us, I don't think he's referring only to non-believers. That would be a given, that if non-believers walk in darkness, they don't have fellowship with God, and they don't have real Christian fellowship with others. That's, that's obvious. I believe John is specifically speaking to Christians in verses 6 to 10. If you notice, as you look through these verses, John uses the pronoun we over and over again. If we say, if we say, if we do this, if we do that. John is including himself in this. So he's talking to Christians. And John wants to warn us. And the warning, the way he expresses this warning is by starting three verses with the phrase, if we say. If we say. The NIV says, if we claim. John wants to warn us from making big claims and not walking in reality. From saying certain things that don't pass muster when it lines up with who we actually are or how we actually live. The first of these statements where John says, if we say, is verse 6. And here's what he says. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, this on its face is totally true, right? How could we argue with this? If we say we have fellowship with God, and at the same time we're walking in darkness, we're lying. We're not telling the truth. His truth is not in us. We're not practicing the truth. We can't claim to fellowship with God and at the same time walk in darkness, but it's important for you and I to understand in this context what John means by darkness. Ironically, John is not talking about sin per se. John is not saying if we walk in, if we sin, we can't say we have fellowship with God. What John is talking about here when he says darkness is pretending that we don't sin. It's actually pretending that we're sinless and that we don't sin or that we haven't sinned. This is John's understanding of walking in darkness. John draws this out in verses 8 and 10, starting again with the statement, if we say, listen to what John says, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. John is, in this context, John is primarily concerned about a particular kind of darkness. And it's the darkness 
where we pretend that we don't sin, that we are above it all. We have moved into a place of perfection. Darkness in these verses is not the fact that we sin. It is that we make claims that we don't. It's obvious that Christians sin. The Bible affirms this in James chapter 3. It says, For we all stumble in many ways. Now when I read that verse, when I'm completely honest, I have no qualms with that when I think of myself. I'm not happy about it. I'm not going to brag about it, but it's true. Our own lives affirm this. You live with someone long enough. I mean, trust me, my family's lived with me a long time. They see me sin. Just the other night, Wednesday night, one of my kids was not doing what I wanted them to. And I got frustrated. And my entire family saw me sin. And I needed to ask forgiveness, especially from the child that I was frustrated with. Do our lives not affirm the fact that we fall short in our our actual living and thinking and speaking at times? We should be the first to admit that we do. I mean, think about it this way. If I want to teach my kids how to repent, I need to show them how. If we want the world to repent of their sins, as the church, why don't we show them how? We're the ones that we've received the gospel, right? We're not saved because because of our perfection. We're saved because of the perfection of Christ. But we often fall into this trap of wanting to appear other than what we actually are. And it is a trap. Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon on a few of these verses, says the natural tendency of our heart is to try and appear to be what we are not. And we all have more or less to struggle against this tendency. For it assails the most truthful. That love of approbation or human approval very readily pushes men to pretend to be better than they are. Fear of censure is an equally powerful means of producing hypocrisy. We must by all means strive against the very beginnings of this frightful evil. For if it should ever get the mastery over us, it will make us altogether untruthful. And consequently, we shall be far removed from all power to walk with God. The Lord cannot stand with us on the platform of seeming and appearance. Let me say that. The Lord cannot stand on the platform with us of seeming and appearance, but only on the ground of what we really are. And therefore, in proportion as we are untrue, we cut ourselves off from God. Now, some might say, well, how does this kill fellowship? I you could, we could see how this hurts ourselves, but how does this kill fellowship? Well, first, pretending breeds more pretending. Pretension 
creates an environment where others feel like they have to do the same thing in order to fit in. And so there's more and more ten- people pretending and no, one's really, no, no one really knows what's going on deep, at a deeper level in each other's hearts, struggles they're having, trials they're going through. It's just all pretending. Additionally, people can feel marginalized by perceived perfectionism. Like, I cannot fit in with these squeaky clean Christians. (laughs) Oh my goodness, you guys are all perfect. And it can feel unsafe, to be honest, about sin and get help. And worst of all, Jesus and his cross and his grace are not magnified as God desires them to be, not only at the moment of salvation, but ongoing as we continue to grow in Christ. Psalm 51.6 says, You delight in truth in the inward being. So pretending kills fellowship. And so we might ask, well, how do we go another way? Well, verse 7 gives us the remedy. Verses 6, 8, and 10 show, tell us if we say these certain things, if we make these claims about fellowship with God while we're walking in a unreality, it hurts our fellowship with God and it hurts our fellowship with others. Verse 7 tells us the remedy. It says this, but if we walk in the light... As he is in the light. Listen to this. We have fellowship with one another. Isn't that what we want? Deep fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Not some sin. Not the little sins. All sin. But if we walk in the light. Now this is, of course, it's not, we know it's not talking about sinless perfection. It's talking about honesty with God and others, about our weaknesses, about our sins even. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. I love how it says as he is in the light. If, you know, if I had written this, I, would, I, would have, I wouldn't have put that in there. I would have said, but if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Why does he add that? God is not hiding from us. He's in the light. Right? If we will step into the light, we will find him there. We're not going to look around and say, oh my goodness, I did it and no one's here. We're going to find God there. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. Now, Of course, this means going low. This means taking a risk of being vulnerable and being completely honest. And sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I I find, even if I'm just trying to be honest with myself and God about the, the motives of my heart sometimes and the things that go through my mind sometimes, it's, it's painful at times to be honest with ourselves but it is freeing. It's risky 
being vulnerable, being completely honest. But that is where Jesus is, and he wants us to join him there. Jesus wants us to join him in the light, being completely honest about who we are, where we are, about about our joys and about our pains and about our sins and about it all. And when we come into the light, we have two massive promises. These are massive promises. The first promise is we have fellowship with one another. This is what we truly long for. This is what we truly long for. Deep fellowship with one another. I remember reading a portion of a book by Francis Schaeffer. And he said, one of the greatest apologetics for the world is tender, real, deep Christian relationships. This is what we long for. If you've ever had a, just a deep friendship with someone where they know you and you know them, hopefully your spouse is that for you or, and perhaps someone else, it is sweet. And we long for this. We have, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the first promise is we have fellowship with one another. Now think about this. Human beings have never been more connected in one sense. Right? Everyone's got a cell phone. Smartphone. Except for a few people. <laughs> David, Mark, Deborah. There's a, and sometimes I feel like throwing mine out the window too. All right, but anyways. Never been more connected. Smartphones, tablets, laptops, right? Skype, FaceTime. You can talk, look at someone's face and talk to them from across the world. Never been more connected with people, with lots of people. And yet... Are we better relationally for being so connected by smartphones? No, we are not. We are not. We can live this whole phony life with a thousand friends on Facebook and not have deep relationships with actual human beings in real life. If we come out into the light... I'm not saying everyone has to get rid of their smartphones because I'd have to as well. If we come into the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. People have never been so connected and yet never so alienated from God and other people and even from themselves. When we come into the light... We are offered fellowship, real, true fellowship. This fellowship is with the Father and with His Son and with each other through the Holy Spirit. The second promise is is massive as well, and it is this. The second promise is the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we step out into the light of honesty, we have fellowship with each other, this is the promise, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Now notice, again, walking in the light is not sinless perfection, clearly, because walking in the light is where sin is cleansed. 
the experienced cleansing of our sins through Jesus Christ. Something we may not notice in our English English translations, but the word cleanse or cleanses is a a present tense continuous verb. So it gives us idea as we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus is continually cleansing us from all sin. Notice it is all sin. It is not some sin. And this thought thought entered my mind this week. It is, we are cleansed from the sin we are aware of and the sins we're not aware of. As we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we are cleansed from all sin. Some here, might, you might feel like you have sinned so grievously, you are beyond cleansing. Step into the light. Come right out into the light this moment. It's where Jesus is. And there's full and complete cleansing. Jesus is there. He will meet you with open arms and he will cleanse you. I remember when I was in Tanzania. Tanzania is hot. And there's lots of dirt blowing. It's windy. And lots of dirt blowing around in the air. Right? There's no paved roads. It's all dirt roads. And you always have the windows down because no car is air conditioning. So as you can imagine, I sweat really bad even in a room like this. So I'm sweating really bad. There's always dirt blowing around in the windows. So by the end of the day, I'm caked with dirt and sweaty. A shower never felt so good as when I was in Tanzania. I knew 15 minutes after I showered, I was going to get dirty again. But I loved taking a shower When we step into the light as God is in the light, he continually cleanses us, continually washes over us, cleansing us from all sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. This cleansing is what enables us to be completely honest, listen to this, without falling into toxic shame, and self-loathing. It's a safe place to be. It's a dangerous place to be in the darkness. It's a safe place to come into the light. We don't have to feel shame, and we don't have to hate ourselves. This is, this is not a boasting in our sins. This is not a boasting in our weak. Well, maybe in our weaknesses. This is not a... Uh, a sprawling on the ground, talking about how horrible we are. This is coming into the light, being honest with God so that he can cleanse us. So in the light, there is Jesus is found. In the light is where the sacred blood of Jesus cleanses us. In the light is where Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, his resurrection is magnified In the light is where the glorious Holy Spirit of God comes down and lifts up weak and imperfect people. Why would we want to live anywhere else but in the light? Of course, it's risky. But if all of these these blessings, these promises come to us 
in the light, why would we choose to live anywhere else? So let's go there. How? How do we go there? Verse 9 tells us. Verse 9 spells out the practical application of verse 7. Verse 9 and verse 7, there's such similarities between these two that it's hard to not make this connect. Verse 9 teaches us how we do verse 7. It says this, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's so simple. It's, it's really Christianity 101, but, but I think it's a lost art, confessing our sins. If we confess our sins, to confess means this. It means to say the same thing as another. It means to agree. Agree with who? On what? To agree with God on what he says sin is. There is such a strong inclination to call sin something other than sin. I feel it. We say, well, it was a mistake. It was an error in judgment. But it is so freeing to agree with God and call sin what he calls sin. And so when I, when I get angry, call it the sin of anger. And God does not like it. And be cleansed from it. When we complain, when we're complainers, to confess the sin of murmuring and complaining. When we gossip, to confess the sin of gossip. Do you, do you agree with me that these things hurt our fellowship horizontally? Not only with God, but horizontally. When we're rude, when we struggle with greed, when we struggle with jealousy or bitterness or unforgiveness, all of these things, we call them what they are. We call them sins and we confess them. Let's confess our sins to death. And I actually mean that. Confessing our sins, you know what it does? It like chokes that sin out. It removes the life of it. It like chokes the oxygen from allowing that sin to continue living. So when we struggle with self-pity and pride and selfish ambition, wanting praise from, from other men and women, other people, we confess it. We want to walk with God and we want to walk with each other. Deep fellowship with God the Father and God the Son through the Holy Spirit. Deep fellowship with one another through the Holy Spirit comes from walking in the light and not in the darkness. Comes from maybe confessing first and foremost, and I am preaching to myself, confessing the sin of pretending first. John Wesley gave instructions for small groups that when they met, he, he really was kind of the pioneer of 
I mean, I suppose churches used to meet in homes and they were small, but kind of the life group, small group, connection group, ministry. And he said, when, when we meet together, let's confess our faults to each other and pray for one another that we may be healed. Everyone should speak in order as freely and plainly and concisely as we can. The real state of our hearts with its several temptations and deliverances. Wow. Imagine if we got together and did that. All right, let's start off by confessing. Before God and each other. Whoa. That's walking in the light. That's walking in the light, confessing our sins to God, confessing even to each other. We, you and I, are companions in the gospel. We are companions. We share in the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. So let's risk walking in complete honesty with God and with one another. Let's, let's be vulnerable. Let's, let's put down the outer shell if there is one up and let's walk in complete honesty together in the light. It might feel risky, but this is where the Lord is found. This is where Jesus is found in the light. Deep fellowship is found here. Continual cleansing from our sins is found here. So let's go there together. We want to magnify Christ in our fellowship. We want our, we want our fellowship not just to center around peripheral things, but to center around our Father and how he's adopted us into his family despite us and center around Christ and what he's accomplished in order that we might be adopted into the Father's family. And this comes from walking in the light. Let's go there together. Let's go there together. Maybe there's someone here today or or multiple people here today, and you have never, even the first time, you've never confessed your sin to God and asked for him to save you through Christ. And it starts there for you. It starts right there. You bring yourself completely to God. There's an old hymn that says, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Let's pray.